Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we began our look at the closing arguments in the trial with the beginning of the defense team's summation as delivered by Edward Belinkus. On today's installment, we continue our examination of Belinkus's closing. That's all coming up right after the break. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As we concluded our last episode, Barrison attorney Edward Belinkus had reached the part of his summation where he argued to the jury that the prosecution had built its case on the lies of Lauren Canrack. As we continue our look at the defense closing, the defense counsel continues his enumeration of Ms. Canrack's alleged lies. She lied to you. There is evidence that she lied to you. She also lied to you that the reason why she didn't leave was because she couldn't find a place to house her horses and train both her and those horses. You have the sworn testimony of Michael Barrison's attorney, Michael Tarshish's, where he says he told her, I got a place for you. It's right down the road with a, an Olympic quality athlete to train you and your horses. Lauren Cataract didn't want to leave. Lauren Cataract was never leaving that property. Lauren Cataract was getting free living accommodations. She was only paying for two horses. That was a lie to you. She also said she was never officially told to leave. Attorney Steve Tarsus took that stand and said, that's not true. I served an eviction complaint on her. He had the proof of service that she personally received that document. Now, I'm sure the prosecutor is going to say, well, that was a dummy complaint, and you know, I don't even know what he's going to say or comment with regards to it. But the fact is, ladies and gentlemen, she was officially served. Whether it's a dummy complaint or not, she still had an official document to leave. She didn't know it was a dummy complaint before the shooting. She didn't say, well, I got a complaint, and my lawyer looked at it, we checked it. She said, I never was officially served. Lie number six. <clears throat> Let's go to number seven. Recall her testimony with regards to why she turned Michael Barrison into the town. Remember that two-page letter that Herman Goodwin had concocted? Her testimony to you was that there was a faulty dryer. You know, uh, we were concerned the barn was going to burn down. Do you really think 
that that was her motivation? Or do you think it was part of her plan, like all these other things, to destroy Michael Barrison? If you're concerned about a faulty dryer, if you're concerned about it possibly starting fire, pull the plug out. You don't need to write a two-page letter trying to get Michael Barrison kicked out of his last place of refuge. Do you really honestly think, ladies and gentlemen, that that was her motivation, a faulty dryer? Based on everything that you know at this point, I submit that she lied to you. Finally, with regards to her bold-faced, despicable lies in this courtroom, is she lied about not searching for Dyfus Anonymous Hotline. Recall her testimony. When I confronted her, did you call Dyfus? No. When I confronted her on the stand with her own phone records indicating that she had searched Dyfus's anonymous hotline on two separate occasions, on two separate days, what was her response? How could she explain that? Her explanation? Oh, someone must have stolen my phone. And, and then she tries to blame it on Justin Harden. Do you honestly believe there's any possibility on the face of the earth to think that Justin Harden would steal her phone to look something up? Not once, but on two separate occasions. If she's lying about this, she's lying about the shooting. She's lying about the incident. If the lies are not good enough for you, to, good enough to convince you not to believe her, look at her inconsistent statements. And just like you do in everyday conversations, if someone says something one time and then comes back and says something different, don't you normally question the truthfulness of those statements? And again, it depends on the, the significance, but that's a common thing that all of you do. Look at Cataract's inconsistent statement. She originally told the prosecutor's office soon after the incident that she disappeared. She doesn't even know where she went. <clears throat> On cross, when I, I, I tried to question her with, with respect to that, she comes up with this crazy story that she meant disappearing in her mind. And then I asked her, did you, did, did you run away or walk away from the area? and she demonstrated what she claims that she did. She also never mentioned in her original statement that she beat Michael Barrison for seven minutes. On direct, before I cross-examined her, before I showed her the post in her own words about beating him for seven minutes, she tried to make light of what she did. She said, I hit him a few times, seven minutes, is not a few times. She testified before you that she had gone up and down the stairs numerous times. She never said that in her original statement, and I'm going to get to that in a second. And I submit, if she did do what she said in this courtroom about going back and forth as she did, that it was before any shot. In her original statement, she said Robert Goodwin was in the house at the time of the shooting. Recall, I brought out that inner statement. 
She said she ran to the door after being shot and told him not to come out. Now she's saying on direct examination that he was outside. Major inconsistency. What should really bother you, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm going to ask you when you get back in that room and you start talking about things, look at the crime scene photos. The crime scene photos introduced by the prosecutor. And I have one here. What should really bother you is the location of the phones at the crime scene. How did Michael Barrison's phone get on that table, on that round metal table by the bush? No one talked about him having a phone in his hand. Cataract and Goodwin never talked about Robert Goodwin having a phone. If you're going to shoot somebody, if you're coming down there to kill somebody, why would you have your phone in your hand? How did Michael Barrison's phone get on that table? Was there an argument? Did he try to call 911 like he had done many times and an altercation started? How did Michael Barrison's phone get on that table? More troubling. And I ask you to look at the photographs. How did Lauren Cataract and Robert Goodwin's phone get at the base of the umbrella stand? Both phones are at the base of the umbrella stands. That is totally inconsistent. That is reasonable doubt. It disputes what Cataract and Goodwin said. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. After arguing to the jury that the testimonies of Lauren Canerac and Robert Goodwin were riddled with inconsistencies, Edward Bolinkus continues his summation by identifying one piece of Canerac's testimony that he asserts is particularly worthy of the jury's attention. Recall her testimony regarding the use of the phones. This is important, and it should send a shiver up your spine. She says... She's holding Robert Goodwin's phone when she's shot. Remember, she's on the phone with her civil lawyer. That should raise a red flag on its own. She says, after being shot, she put the phone down. She walks over, climbs up the stairs, and grabs her phone. She says she tries to call 911. I don't know why she didn't try to call 911 on Goodwin's phone, but this is her testimony. She says she tries to call 911. Her phone doesn't work. She puts it down on the top landing. She walks down the stairs. She walks over to where she placed the phone down by Goodwin and Barrison. She picks up Goodwin's phone and calls 911. That was her testimony. And you heard the 911 call. 
at some point during that call, she hands the phone to Goodwin. She then says she walks back up the stairs, retrieves her phone, turns, walks down the stairs, walks over to where Barrison and Goodwin are, and starts beating Michael Barrison with her phone for seven minutes. So we have the 911 call. We have her beating Barrison in this area. How do the phones get on the umbrella base 10, 12, 13 yards away? All supposedly after being shot. Does that make sense to you? Is it physically impossible for someone to be shot in the chest twice and do all that? Let's look at Robert Goodwin's testimony. I submit, ladies and gentlemen, that based on what you know about Robert Goodwin, that he would do or say anything to help Lauren Canara. After all, she's the one paying for everything. She's the one getting them free living accommodations. She's paying him to hang around with the horses. Remember, he is one of the people, him and the father, who had a plan to destroy Michael Barrison. He was the one, ladies and gentlemen, that purchased all the recorders and cameras. He was the person that was secreting the recorders and then retrieving them on behalf of Lauren Canarac. He's the one, ladies and gentlemen, who wrote the letter to the town. He's the one, ladies and gentlemen, that turned off the camera that would have captured this entire incident. In his original statement, he said he only heard shots. In this courtroom, before you, he claims that he actually saw Michael Barrison shooting. Totally different, inconsistent with his statement the night of the incident. Some things that Goodwin did say that are helpful. Michael Barrison was never violent. Michael Barrison never threatened him or Lauren Canarac. He totally disputed the prosecutor's statement that Michael was angry and furious at the time of the shooting. Described him, as I said, calm and sorrowful. But he also lied to you. He told you the same lie about those recordings. And again, I'm not going to go into the transcript with the lawyer, but clearly, ladies and gentlemen, those recordings were not all made from Lauren Cataract's locker. In his original statement, he said the same thing Cataract said in her original statement, that she disappeared. He testified in this courtroom that Cataract only hit Barrison in the face a few times. That's inconsistent with the seven-minute beating that Canarac posted about. What's also important, and I don't know how much significance you think this is, neither of them ever mentioned that their dog had attacked Michael Barrison. And we're not talking about a simple nipping. You heard medical testimony from the doctor that treated Michael Barrison that he had numerous puncture wounds all over his body, one of which was a puncture wound to his inside groin area. How did that happen? When did that happen? Why didn't Cataract, why didn't Goodwin ever mention that the dog was mauling Michael Barrison? 
And what I submit should offend you is the prosecutor introducing a cute photograph of the dog in the background just sitting up and, you know, very, very cal calmly. That dog attacked Ruth Cox. That dog attacked Michael Barrison. That dog even attacked the police officer who arrived on the scene. His name is Rosie. I'm calling it Cujo. Why would the prosecutor even think about introducing that photograph? What possible reason other than to try to give you a different impression? The defense put on two highly qualified, distinguished experts. Those two experts, ladies and gentlemen, I believe are far more compelling and believable than the state's one expert. They spent more time with Michael Barrison and did a much more thorough evaluation than the state's doctor, Dr. Schlesinger. Most important, Dr. Simring saw Michael Barrison soon after the incident, within a month, and he testified, and was never disputed by the state's doctor, that it's important, and you get a better sense of what happened and a better evaluation if you evaluate someone close in time to the incident. Does that make sense to anybody? Is that, that, that psychological mumbo jumbo? It's important that when you're considering these experts, the defense and the state, that you consider that the defense experts do both work for the prosecutor's office and defense lawyers. If you look at Dr. Simring and his testimony, his credentials were amazing. His experience were, were, was amazing. And, and what's important and what you should consider is that he's been hired numerous times by the Morris County Prosecutor's Office. This office that is prosecuting that case, this case. He's indicated he's been retained, he's been relied on by that office many times. It's going to be interesting to see how the prosecutor attacks him when their office has used him numerous times. Dr. Simmering is a psychiatrist, a medical doctor. He's clearly more educated, has more experience than the state's doctor, Schlesinger in evaluating people in criminal cases. What's odd, ladies and gentlemen, is that although Dr. Schlesinger, the state expert, says, I disagree with Dr. Simring's diagnosis, he never, never explained why or what the basis was. Clearly, he had no problem attacking Dr. Hassan, one of the defense experts after Dr. Hassan corrected and questioned the method and scoring of the test he gave Michael Barrison. I submit to you, it seemed like almost a personal attack. Like, how dare you question me? When someone says things on the stand like, geez, I don't want to be too critical of someone, and then clearly goes out of their way to attack them, you should question their testimony. The fact is, with regards to the state expert, Dr. Schlesinger, he spent, and I timed it, 45 minutes talking about himself and, and all his awards. He spent no time telling me why he did, disagreed with Dr. Simring.
He also testified, and I ask you to recall this, this point, that he only spent about an hour or so testing Michael Barrison. That's only 15 minutes more than him talking about himself. The state's doctor, Dr. Schlesinger, said he only spent 13 hours total with Michael Barrison as compared to 37 hours that Dr. Hassan, one of the defense experts, spent. I submit, ladies and gentlemen, that the state's expert's testimony appeared rehearsed, scripted. How many times did he volunteer things, talk about providing the prosecutor with uh, the articles or books? Oh, I, I, I gave you that article, prosecutor, or, or that book I gave you. I now know where the prosecutor got those articles that he used to try to attack Dr. Hassan. Why would Dr. Schlesinger give those articles and books to Prosecutor Shellhorn when everybody knows, and it's been testified to, there are an equal number of articles and books in the psychiatric field that say the exact opposite thing. Dr. Schlesinger basically is a hired gun for prosecutor's offices in New Jersey and New York. He testified he has another case with this prosecutor's office. He tried to soften that when, when I had brought out that my experts do work for both sides. Always have, always will. He tried to soften that by saying, well, the first third of my career, I did work for defense lawyers. The second third, I did both. But basically, the last third, I'm doing almost exclusively work for the prosecutor's offices. Well, if you divide up that 30-year career, the last 10 years, all he's been doing is rendering opinions for county prosecutor's offices all over the state. And I'm going to ask you to use your common sense. How long do you think he would keep doing that if he didn't support the prosecutor's position? Not very long. The fact is, and what the evidence, and he didn't even dispute this, he did shorter versions of the tests he gave. He didn't do anywhere near as many tests as Dr. Hassan did. Dr. Hassan took Schlesinger's data, his results, that he hand-scored, and put them into a computer program, and got a totally different profile. A profile that confirmed the delusional disorder that he and Simring had testified to. The exact same data. He didn't make anything up. He took Schlesinger's data that he collected, put it in a program, and got a different result. What does that tell you? Dr. Hassan also did many more tests. He tried to look at this case and, and, and the diagnosis from all sorts of different angles. Schlesinger was, was fo focused. He had like blinders on. I submit that Dr. Hassan is not only consisting with Simring's diagnosis, but it also provided you with expert testimony concerning a battery of tests, a whole group of tests that he did that are also consistent with that diagnosis. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison. 
Join us on our next installment as we conclude our presentation of the closing argument from defense attorney Edward Belenkis. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.